1: Good morning to everyone who's joining us online. So great to have you join us today. And uh, it's been such a special morning already. So thankful for that. I think it's appropriate for me as well to uh, just say uh, also how proud I am of our New Life family. And I've been so thankful for the uh, love and care that's been demonstrated to my family over the last few weeks with the path, uh, passing of my father. And uh, I just want to let you know just how difficult it actually was as a pastor to ask for help from his congregation. It was extremely difficult for some bizarre reason, but you guys affirmed to me that, uh, that I can trust you. And you affirmed it with your love and affection with the prayers and, uh, and the care that was given uh, in you know, meal packages and stuff like that. So those little measures of grace were so helpful in being able to endure a really difficult time. So very thankful for you and love you all for that. It's, very been, it's been really good. Um, well, if you open up your Bibles to Romans 14, let's look at Romans 14 together. Romans 14 is really interesting because in the book of Romans when Paul starts off, he's, he, he gets excited. He starts talking about the gospel. He starts talking about identity in Christ. And then here he ends up coming towards the end of this letter, this epistle to the church of Romans. And he's like, listen, to, but there's some things I've got to talk to you about. We've got to get some things in order. Because there's a problem going on. There's a there's a division in the church. Now everyone's seeing eye to eye. We have some Jewish believers, we have our Gentile believers, and our Jewish believers want nothing to do with eating meat. There's some who are saying, you can't eat meat, you can't do that, and you know why? Because some of that meat might have been contaminated with um, idol worship. And so the Gentiles are okay eating meat, and Paul said, no, it's okay, you can do that. But they're like, no, 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 we're not doing that. And so there's a bit of division. Some people are judging others based on their decision-making, based on the freedom that they have in Christ, okay? And they're also competing about the days. Which, which days do we celebrate the Lord? Do we celebrate it on Saturday? Or do we celebrate it on Sunday? Which day is the Sabbath day, right? Because they're coming into this new freedom, but culturally they weren't allowed to do these things. So they're having trouble experiencing it together. And so what's happening? Everyone's looking at everyone else to judge whether or not they're okay. Everyone is putting on their own crown and saying, it's the kingdom of Robin. And in the kingdom of Robin, things run this way. But Mike's got his kingdom of Mike hat on. He's got his crown. He's like, wow, listen, I see what you're doing over there. But in my kingdom, it doesn't run like this. Paul says, Forget your crowns, lay them all down. There's only one king, and he is the only one who has the privilege to hand out status. And he says, You are all made righteous in Christ, all equal. And there's a great freedom and privilege in that, and that the kingdom of God allows us to be one together. Because his rule matters, not mine, not Mike's, not the Jewish believers, not the Gentiles believers, not what they think is right or wrong. What does God say? Paul goes on to say in that chapter, he says, because we're talking about food, right? are talking about what you eat and what you drink. He says, do not, say do not, do not, do not. for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. It has gone so bad that Paul said you are destroying the work of God. What is the work of God? To assemble all of us under the kingdom of God, as the children of God. Don't let something like food divide you. Do not for the sake of food. Do not for the sake of music. Do not for the sake of the color of your skin. Do not for the sake of which hockey team you cheer for. Do not for the sake of COVID. Do not for the sake of politics. Destroy the work of God. And he says this, this is why you don't do it. It's because of this one verse. Let's look at it together. It is Romans chapter 14, verse 17. We're going to read it together. But first I'm going to pray, okay? Jesus, I I don't even have, I don't even feel like I have the authority to speak these words because I don't know how many times I've let what I want to be a division between what you want to do in your church. So I don't even feel like I have the authority to do this, but it is your word. And so I just pray that you would speak in and through me and you would open up our hearts to areas that we need to lay down our crowns and accept that you are king. That's the sound in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, Romans chapter fourteen, verse seventeen says this: "For the kingdom of God." Remember, Jesus said, "This is what you got to do. You got to seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added onto you." So, he's saying this. Romans chapter fourteen, verse seventeen, he says, "For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking." but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the sake of blank, do not destroy the work of God. Why? Because your status is not issued by your works or anyone else's works, by what people online think, by what the government thinks, by what anyone thinks. Your status is assigned by God. You've been made righteous. You've been made at peace with God. And guess what? You now have joy in the Holy Spirit to help you sustain everything that you face. Because this is the kingdom of God. Now, this word kingdom is a trial for us, isn't it? Because if we don't understand what Paul is saying here, then every argument for unity that he makes in the whole Bible really doesn't make any sense. So we have to understand the importance of the term kingdom. Now, I remember that there was this one uh, very popular author at one time, who's kind of part of the emergent church, and he said, the kingdom of God is hard for people to understand. So let's call it the dream of God, which is a kind of interesting idea, but it kind of devalues what I, what I actually think, it kind of devalues what kingdom is supposed to mean, and I think when we understand what kingdom means, then we can actually start to submit to it, because the term "kingdom is a term of power. Let me explain it to you, okay? King Charles. King Charles has recently become king of the United Kingdom. And uh, we are part of the Commonwealth. And so when we think about kingdom, we might think about that, and we might think that kingdom is a realm. It's a, it's a place. It's, it's somewhere that you go to. But I want to highlight something to you. It, it's, it, it's far more than that. It's far, far more than that. I want you to look with me right now. Psalm 103, okay? So Psalm 103, and it's verse 19. It's going to be up there for you. It says this, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Are you ready for Bible study? Okay, you ready for Bible study? Okay, so we're looking at poetry here. We're looking at the Psalms. There's a couplet. There's two verses there. They're lined up beside each other, and one is indented. What is happening here? The first phrase is a description, and then the next phrase is the qualifier, okay? So when they see them kind of lined up like that, this is what's happening. We're basically saying, Toyotas are great cars, Right? And then your next couplet is they're great because the engine runs even though the rust has happened and the body falls apart. Okay? Now, I'm making a very general term, a very grand survey in this, but I'm giving you the idea of the qualification. So let's look again at this verse. It says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And here's the qualifying term, and his kingdom rules over all. So what is his kingdom? His kingdom is his rule. It's not just a place. It's the fact that he is in ultimate control. He is in complete authority. King Charles has two main things to do in exercising his authority. He signs legislation for the United Kingdom. So when the parliament makes a law, they send it to the king, And he signs it. Number one. Second one, he has the ability to dissolve parliament at any point in time. He could just say, no, no more parliament. But would he ever do that? The answer is no. Why? Because it would be a national crisis. Because his rule depends on the approval of the people. So he doesn't have complete, complete authority. So when you think about kingdom, you think about this, you're like, okay, like, what can we compare it to? What can we understand of, of it in our, in our world right now, in our geopolitical world? The closest thing we have to it right now in all the world is maybe the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, but even the king of Saudi Arabia has to defer to his extended family to make decisions. So we have no example of complete rule on earthly terms. So we have a trouble understanding this, but this is not the God we serve. Jesus has complete Rule and authority. Can I get an amen to that? He has complete rule and authority. Matthew 28 says, I have been given all authority. Say all. All. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Complete authority. And it's not authority to bash you over the head. Because you remember what his kingdom looks like. Or how he even got the title of king, or how he even inherited it, it was by laying down his life, emptying himself, going from the highest place to the lowest place. He became reproach. He became sin on your behalf, that you might become the righteousness of God. This is the king that we serve. He loved you so much, he gave his life for you. Can we submit to his rule? Can we submit to a king like that? I bet you can. Now, let's extend this a little bit. Let's make this even more real. So I'm going to give you another example, okay? Let's just imagine, as we think about kingdom, we think about maybe the magic kingdom in in Disney World, okay? Some people are excited about that. I've never been, but I've heard there's fun and excitement, and I've heard also the climate is warm. Okay, and this is a place, this is a wonderful place that we can go to. You can pay money and go to this place. Okay, now you could go there, you have all that fun and excitement and warmth, and then you leave. But imagine this imagine, I think it's Bob Iger, I think it is, who is the CEO of Disney, has all complete power and authority to create a pill that you can take. That'll help you to experience fun and excitement and also control the climate no matter where you go at all times. So you can experience the wonder of the magic kingdom anywhere you go, even at your boring job. Even with your feuding family members. And he said, all you have to do actually is just take this pill and and then actually just tell other people that have been given all rule and authority and give them this pill. And then they could have the same experience. Now, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Okay? I've created a fantastical scenario. But some of you would take the pill if it didn't exist, right? Like, like you, the idea of it is phenomenal. But He said you can have the experience of it anywhere you go. Let me paint a picture for you and then bring it home. Some of us think about the kingdom of God as a place That we'll go to eventually. We'll eventually get there. It's just a place. But it's not that. It's a rule. It's a rule that you take everywhere you go. It's an experience of the rule of God wherever you whatever you step into, whenever you step into it. And some of us want to just leave it as that. A place that you go to, but it's an experience that you can have. Not only that, it's much bigger than a pill that you could take. Because the king, the true king, Jesus, lives where? In you. So you take his rule and authority wherever you go. So let's go back to your boring job. Let's go back to your troublesome job. Let's go back to your, your bad direct reports or your bad managers. Let's go back to the troublesome kids in your class. The one who has complete authority is in you and you can go into a dark place and say in the name of Jesus, which means in his complete power and authority, I declare light. I could speak life into this place. Megan, I told you I was going to do this, right? I warned you. I was talking with Megan last week, and she was sharing about how sometimes her current workplace has been such a trouble, such a burden to her, but she realized that she has the opportunity to extend grace to people and be a person of peace in a troublesome arena, a troublesome workplace. And I said, right there, that's what I'm preaching about next week. I'm taking that. I'm using it, okay? Okay. Because I want to affirm that, and I want to affirm that each and every one of you have made the choice by faith to agree that your ability to be content, your ability to feel accepted, your ability to be complete is not dependent on your circumstances. It's dependent on the one who is in complete rule and authority. So you could step into any situation and declare a light. You can step into any situation and be a light to others because he's there. This is the kingdom that we're talking about. His rule, his absolute rule is extended in and through you. Here's the only problem that we have with this is that we have to, at times, submit to his rule. And honestly, that's not fun. Sometimes it's not fun, sometimes it's not pretty. Sometimes it's not affirming right away. Sometimes people don't understand whether they're Christians or non-Christians. People may not understand. Why are you staying at that crappy job? Why are you entertaining these people? Why why are you being peaceable to these individuals? They deserve wrath. Show them wrath. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. It's not the kingdom of Robin. Oh, I lay it down. No, no. Jesus is king. Whatever he calls me to do, I'm going to step into it. Do we understand kingdom? You understand the kingdom of God? Here's what more Paul says about it before we move on to our next point, okay? Paul says this, okay? I want you to look at verse 7. If you're in Romans 14, okay? Let's go back to Paul talking to the Romans and he is right here in verse 7 talking to these individuals who are for the sake of food and for the sake of days of worship have found division amongst them. And he's saying this, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord. Lords, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Here's the kicker right here. He says this, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. This judgment seat of God is the Bema seat. This is the place of reward. It was a way of Paul describing Olympic champions in Greece when they go for reward, not punishment. You go and they get the medal and they're not going there to get punishment. No, they go and they receive a medal. He's saying you are not the ultimate judge. He is the ultimate judge. At the Bema seat, God hands out the rewards. You don't hand out the rewards because it's not the kingdom of Robin. So you don't judge your brother. You don't. You leave that to the Lord. Are we have a responsibility to affirm and to correct and rebuke according to scriptures? Yes, there's opportunities for that. We're talking about fighting over the menial things that divide us so simply and so easily. It's not what God has called us to do. So Paul says, listen, he is the Lord. You are not the Lord. He is the Lord. You submit to him and to his rule. So let's look a little bit more here. Let's look a little bit more closely at this word. You guys still with me? Okay, let's look at chapter 14 again. We're going to look at verse 17. And so here Paul says, Again, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. And I want to stop there, because I want us to talk about this. What does he mean when we're describing the kingdom of God? When Jesus says, seek the kingdom, he's saying, seek these three things. Righteousness, peace, and joy. So what is righteousness? Let's understand that. I want you to turn with me quickly, okay? Turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Okay, and I'm going to read it to you. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, okay? Now, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying the righteousness of God, this status is not based on doing, okay? There are times in scriptures when righteousness is referring to things that you do. In this case, it is not, Because look at the qualifier here. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And the law was about doing. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So this is a status that God gives us. He is the one who makes us righteous. Right? 2 Corinthians 5, verses 20 and 21. You are made right with God. You are made accepted by God. Who here feels like they could use a little bit more acceptance or the sense of acceptance? Well, first and foremost, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth has called you acceptable. Can I get an amen to that? Because it was not based on your ability. If it was based on your ability, then Jesus died for nothing. He had to die and take your sin away so that you could be made righteous. Righteous. It was the purpose of the gospel. This is the work of God, that God would set aside a people for his own, all made righteous, a holy priesthood of believers. It was a wondrous thing for us to understand. And there was a time for us when individual righteousness was something that we understood and, 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 and we could digest. I mean, there was a season of time where I was, and some of you have experienced this, had my eyes opened to the grace of God, that it wasn't about my works, but that I was accepted by God. And so I would devour anything, any preaching that would talk to me about that and, 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 and would affirm that in my heart. And it, just, and it just moved me. But you know, I'm in a new season in my life where I'm realizing that that was not the end goal. The end goal for us as believers is to experience and know our righteousness together as a community. How does your righteousness and Tim's righteousness and Bobby Joe's righteousness affect how we do community together? How does it change why we come together and how we come together? Well, let's, let's think about it. Right away, I'm accepted by God. Tim is accepted by God. I have no reason to make him feel not accepted. Because if God is the one who, is rule, who has absolute rule and has called him accepted, who am I? I submit, again, to the fact that my brother Tim is accepted by God. So I treat him accordingly. And it's easy, bro, because you're so good at base, Okay. It's easy. I could have picked someone else, but I got to pick you because that was easy, okay? Right? I accept him. I accept him because, first and foremost, God has accepted him. That's the first reason why. So it affects how we relate to each other. That's why Paul is saying, listen, don't feud about the food and in, in the days of worship. Please accept each other because it was God's rule who gave him that status. It was God's rule who gave you the status that you have. So treat each other accordingly. My brother Norm, okay? I keep calling out folks. Brother Norm and I got together recently and we sat down and uh, had a meal together um, at a restaurant and we were just chatting. We were looking around and like everybody in that restaurant were with somebody who looked like them. (laughs) But if you know my brother Norm, Norm is young handsome, okay, and full of life. And I am older, darker, and now it's full of life. And we just look like a weird pair. Now, we know this world's about accepting all kinds of things, but still, we're a weird pair right there in that moment. Why are we a weird pair? We're sitting there, and we're chatting, and we're enjoying each other's fellowship. Because something connects us that is deeper than the color of our skin. That breaks down the barriers of demographics. That breaks down the barriers of understanding. He doesn't know all of my journey. I don't know all of his journey. But man, do we want to get together and talk about the love of Christ. Man, we want to get together and talk about our families. Brother's giving me comfort for the recent past of my father. Listen, this is the beauty of what we have in Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can accept each other beyond all these barriers. The only solution to racism and prejudice is Jesus. There's nothing else. Forget it all. Everything else is just legislation and it's more law causing more sin. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. So I want you to look at Romans chapter 15, verse seven, okay? Paul goes a little bit further. Paul says this, Romans chapter 15. He says, because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. This word is translated accepted. You've been accepted by God, accept each other. And guess what? This is for the glory of God. This is for the glory of God that we accept each other. This is how we stand out in a world that loves creating division. I am, I am convinced that social media and the world in general are looking to create divisions. The algorithm will send you whatever it wants to, to create silos for people. And we create more and more division, but it is not what we are called to whatsoever. Matter of fact, it has nothing on the rule of Jesus. It has nothing on the kingdom of God. It breaks all boundaries. Praise God. This is good stuff. The main thing is that are we willing, this is the question, are we willing to submit to Jesus' rule and extend acceptance to our brothers and sisters in Christ despite our differences? Am I willing to take off the crown? Oh, it's a big crown. It's beautiful. Let me tell you, there's lots of good things going on in this life here, but man, oh. am I willing to lay it down and accept his rule and authority? Oh, well, there's a crown coming for me, but that's afterwards. And even then I'll lay it down. There's only one king. He is in complete authority in heaven and on earth. You know the hard thing for us to do in accepting each other sometimes and when there's division or conflict? The hard thing is that we have to release our our control over getting our needs met. Because we feel like if I don't Look like I'm right on this one. And if I don't make sure somebody else looks like they're wrong on this one, then I will not get my needs met. I won't get the affirmation. I won't get the sense of belonging. I won't get the sense of care that I want and that I'm after. What does Jesus say? What does He say? He says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says, I can be sure of this, that Christ will meet all of your needs. He'll meet all of your needs. You don't have to look to somebody else to do that. And that brings us to our next point about peace. Let's go there really quickly, okay? So first thing I want us to catch right now, we've been learning about it. Jesus' rule makes us acceptable, empowers us to accept each other. Second thing is that word peace. Jesus' rule makes us complete and makes us at peace with each other. Let's look at Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five, verse one. I'm just going to read it to you. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have been made righteous, we have peace with God. What does he mean? It means that God is not against us because the thing that made God against us, which was sin, has been taken by Christ on the cross, crucified, The part of you that could not please God, your spirit that animated your body when you were created, could not please God. It was dead. And that thing had to be crucified and buried. Buried meaning it's not coming back. And you had to be given a new spirit, Christ's spirit, and a new life Given to you when you believed on him and you believe in his death and resurrection, you receive a new spirit. This spirit is at peace with God, it is not rebelling against him. It wants to do what God asks, it wants to respond to him in love. So we are no longer at odds with him, we're at peace. I think the tough part with this is that we accept that we're at peace with God. But we often forget that our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are also at peace with God. Listen, guys, I am talking to you and I'm also talking to myself. And I think it's fair for us to just be honest with ourselves. At times, when we hold our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ accountable or their actions to the point that we condemn them in our hearts. And this is not right. Why? Because the one who is an absolute authority has made them righteous, but not only has made them righteous, but is at peace with them. And so when someone harms you, disappoints you, fails, comes short, you can forgive them. Matter of fact, that is the Christian superpower forgiveness. Do you know why it's a Christian superpower? Because it's not your power and ability to make them right. It was Jesus's power and ability to make them right. So you can release the right to retribution against someone who harms you, especially in the body of Christ. You can release the right to retribution against them because Jesus has already paid it. Who are you to say they deserve more retribution? It's not the kingdom of Robin. Lay down that crown. No, 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 no. It's the kingdom of God. He says, I'm at peace with that individual. So who am I? No, I release the right to retribution. And what do I do instead? Again, Philippians chapter four, verse 19. I go to Jesus. And I say, whatever hurt I experienced, whatever was taken from me, whatever disappointment I experienced, I go to you instead. And Jesus says, good choice. Let me restore to you the loss. Let me restore the peace that was taken. I want to give you an example of this. And this is a really, this is such a, um, almost a devalued version of this, but just to give you the picture, uh, I was watching this documentary um, about uh, two hockey teams. It was the Colorado Avalanche and the Detroit Red Wings back in, uh, in the 1990s. I know kids, this is way back, okay? 1990s, you know, the internet had just showed up and we were just getting rid of rot- rotary phones, okay? And there was this big conflict between hockey players, one in particular, Claude Lemieux, and this other guy, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name now. Chris Draper. good, good. So Claude Lemieux, really bad move when he was playing really seriously injured a guy. And so the, 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 this is Detroit Red Wings, wanted to get back at him. So they kept waiting for opportunities. So they, had, so they had to wait till the next year to kind of have a matchup in Detroit. And there was a huge expectation and people were excited about this because they're like, oh, OK, Claude Lemieux is going to be there and all their big bad guys are going to be there and everyone's going to con- have this big conflict. And there was one. There was one, there was a big showdown between one of their bigger guys, Darren uh, McCarty and uh, Claude Lemieux. And and now here I am, I'm watching this documentary now years and years later. And the documentary is centered on this fact that Claude Lemieux, the Colorado Avalanche guy and Darren McCarty are meeting together at a pub in Detroit and they're talking about the conflict. And they're talking about it and sharing about all this different stuff about what happened and people in Detroit are there and they're watching. And I'm like, this is weird because only years ago, there was like police escorts for Cod Lemieux because of what he did. And now everyone's here and kind of a piece of it. And the other interesting thing is that the guy who was injured, Chris Draper, was not there. He was not there. He was not present of it. And it's been said and told that I understand that there still is a rift between those two individuals. He hasn't. Um, had a repairing of relationship with him. Whereas Darren McCarty feels like he has the authority to do this. And I believe this in particular about it. This is my evaluation of what I'm seeing is that because Darren McCarty felt like he had an opportunity of retribution, had a fight with Claude Mamieux, got it out. He feels like, okay, now we're even, now we're fine. We can have a conversation about this because there was retribution. Listen to me, I'm sharing all of this Just to say this one thing, sometimes we feel so desperately that there needs to be retribution. But there was only one conflict, only one grievance, and it was God versus man. All sin is an offense to God, and there did need to be a retribution. And Hebrews says there's only one retribution for sin, and it's blood. There had to be a death. And so Jesus took it on. He said, I am going to do this on behalf of all of my enemies. You were an enemy of God. But he loved you so much, he died for you. There had to be a retribution. But let me say that to say this. First of all, if you have hurt, it's not devalued because there did have to be a payment, but the payment was Jesus. We're not saying, okay, forget it, dismiss your pain. No, 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 the payment was Jesus. But even more so than that, he is the one who says, come to me. Not only did I die for you, but I want to supply every loss and meet every need. Instead of taking it out on your brother, come to me. What am I saying right now? I have to be cautious with this because I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that there's no opportunity for us, or or this is, sorry, I should be very careful with this. What I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying that we allow um, abuse to happen. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that in every way that we make decisions, we surrender to the rule of Christ. We submit to his rule and we say, Lord, what have you called me to do? And what does Paul say at the end of Romans 14? He says, anything that is not by faith is sin. So it is by faith when we trust in his leadership and we trust in his will for us and we follow his leading. That's why you got to go back and hear the sermon last week about, about what Ross was saying about hearing from God. It is important for us to practice this so we could step into faith and do what the Lord has called us to do. But first and foremost, as the body of Christ, do not for the sake of blank destroy the work of God. Instead, accept that your fellow brothers and sisters of Christ are at peace with God. Last point right now, I want to talk about joy. It's about time we talked about joy because it's been heavy. Okay, so Paul says this. this. He's making this claim. Jesus' rule makes us acceptable and empowers us to accept others. It also makes us at peace with each other. But it can also make us content in our trials and inspire us to rejoice together. I want you to look right now at 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 8 to 9. So 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 8 to 9 and it reads like this, though you have not seen him you love him, though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that in, that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. What is Paul trying to what is Peter trying to say here to the church? He's trying to say in a nutshell, you are experiencing hardship because this is what the church was experiencing at the time. You are experiencing hardship, but you can have joy in the midst of hardship. And not only joy, but joy inexpressible. It is accessible to you, even in the midst of that. Primarily, first, if Paul says it right here, because you have hope. Not only do you have the magic kingdom living in you at all times, but you also have the future magic kingdom to go to that you will be able to enjoy and experience in your new glorified body. As much as the kingdom is here now, it is still coming. So we can have joy no matter what we face. Oh, My job is boring. Not as much fun. Kind of stinks. Looking forward to something better. Hoping, praying for something better. You know what Jesus' response to many of us can be? You have joy everlasting, inexpressible, existing within you. Why? Because if you look back at Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, Joy in the Holy Spirit. It is accessible to you by the power of the Holy Spirit and is an inexhaustible resource because it's from an eternal resource, because it's the Holy Spirit, guys. Okay? And it's there, it's inside of you. And you know Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-two and twenty-three very well, because you know that it is also one of the fruits, fruit of the spirit. Joy, it's there, it's accessible to you. What is joy? It is to approve of enthusiastically. You can approve enthusiastically of any scenario that you're in because he has called you to be there, that you have taken a step of faith and said yes to your ruling kingdom, yes to your authority. It is uncomfortable, but I am... Resting in you and trusting in you to supply the joy to endure this. And here's the thing. Often for myself, I notice this. I notice that when I'm unwilling to engage with what God has called me to do, then I feel the sadness. Then I feel the heaviness. Then the pain of whatever I'm going through is overwhelming. There is a matter of agency that we have. And that matter of agency is stepping out in faith and engaging with the life that Christ has given you. Maybe you're looking at your life right now, you're looking at your circumstances, and you're saying, this is not the life I want. Well, guess what? You have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. Ephesians chapter 2, that's Galatians but Ephesians chapter 2 says that he's planned out, as my paraphrase, he's planned out good things for you to do in advance. He has mapped out a path for you, and he wants to live and exist in that realm, in and through you, in that scenario. And so sometimes we have to step out in faith And you exercise agency and say, whatever you call me for today, I step into it. Now, here's the miraculous thing, because coming back to myself, every once in a while, when I do step out into what God's called me to do, even though I don't want it, something happens. I'm inspired with renewed joy. I'm inspired with renewed endurance. And I can't approve enthusiastically of the scenario that I'm in because all of a sudden I feel God is at work. I am talking about things that sound so simple and it's just nice old Christianese and you've heard it before, but I don't want you to miss it. It's about His kingdom and rule. If He's called you to step out into something that's challenging, Maybe stepping out into it is actually, maybe today sharing with somebody really about something that's really tough that you didn't want to share about. It makes you feel weak. Maybe it's that. His joy can meet you there. And as we need to engage with the Lord in order to experience this joy. I'm running out of time. I'm so sorry. There's three things that we have to ask ourselves here as a close, Okay. Are you willing to submit to his authority and accept your fellow brother and sister in Christ because he's accepted them? Are you willing to submit to his authority and release the right to retribution against those who've harmed you in the body of Christ because he's at peace with them? Are you willing to trust that he's The Lord of all, and He has all power and authority, and He cares for you, and His Spirit lives in you. Are you willing to accept that He can supply your need? He can give you the joy, He can give you the endurance, the strength to step into tomorrow. Are you willing to submit to Him? Are you willing to lay down your crowns? Because you know what? The king is good. He is good. And the magic of this is is that when it's done, we when we submit to him and we experience unity in the body. Paul goes on to say, even right there in verse 18, he says, It is pleasing to God, and it's approved by men. In other words, people will see your unity and they'll praise your father in heaven. They'll give glory to God when they see you wrestle about the things, the little things, and come out on the other side of it unified and loving each other. The world will see that and they will praise God because you guys know that's not what our world looks like right now. So let me pray, and even in your own heart, whatever you need to submit to him, do it. But anyway, bless you today. Let's pray. Jesus, I just give this morning over to you a little bit longer, but I just know that you have uh, a plan for this message, uh, uh, you know, worked out in our hearts. And I know that because it's being worked out on my own. So let that be the case. And I pray that we would experience your gentleness during this season. We need your gentleness. Be kind to us, be care for us as we are. Enduring the things that we're enduring. I pray this right now in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You have been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.